Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, today we're going backstage with Matthew Seedon Young, who's currently playing Will Bloom in Big Fish the Musical. We met up last week at the Other Palace in London, and we ended up doing the interview in Kelsey Grammer's dressing room, which, unexpectedly, was not that glamorous. It did have incredibly loud air conditioning, though. Here's our conversation. Here we are in Kelsey Grammer's dressing room, of all places to do this interview. Um, I am actually sitting next to a pair of his socks. Yeah, somewhat improvised dressing room. Just describe it, just for people who can't see it. Well, you're in a pretty sort of like box standard Ikea sofa, it looks like. (laughs) We've got like, to your left, we have got (laughs) some some costume hanging up. I mean, he doesn't have many costumes. Is it just the two there? Just the two costumes. Pajamas yeah. and a suit. Pajamas I mean, that's not bad, suit. is it? Yeah, really? yeah. Quite opposite ends of the spectrum as well. You've got a suit, which is quite sort of sharp and smart. And then you have the literally the comfiest looking pajamas. So it's like it goes from one end of the spectrum to the other in, 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 in a matter of the prologue of the yeah. show. So for the most of the show, he's in these very comfy pajamas. I'm quite jealous. And next to that, you have the, the sink. Because this would normally be the green room. You have the sink, a microwave, a fridge, and then you've... A somewhat improvised dressing table. Yeah. Well, you still got the lights. You still get the lights. You still get the, you still get the sort of lights around the mirror and stuff, I think. But I think that's probably knocked up by the chippies downstairs. <laughs> yeah. No, it's nice. For any of you that's not London-minded, that's Carpenter. Chippies right. Chippies Carpenter. <laughs> I was just pretending I knew what you meant. So thanks for explaining. Yeah. Um, let's talk about Big Fish. This mm. is, I, I was just telling you, this is one of my favourite shows mm. ever. I managed to see it during its brief life on Broadway and was obviously gutted when they announced it was closing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And honestly, I never thought I would see it again. And the fact that it's being done here in London is such like it's, it's such a treat for me to be able um, to see it again. Yeah, and um, done very differently, I'm, I'm keep, I keep getting told. Very, very differently. But I, I'm kind of glad that that's the case because yeah. I, I wouldn't want a replica. No, no, of um, course you wouldn't, no. It's very much a show in its own right. How, how is it for you being in a show with, with Kelsey Grammer and doing this show? To be in a show with Kelsey Grammer is sort of like, not one I had on the bucket list, but it's sort of like, it's one of those things that when it happens, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's not, uh, it's not like do a musical with Kelsey Grammer, it's like, um, but I've been quite fortunate in other jobs as well to work with sort of like big actors and sort of, you know, people I've looked up to and, you know, I've watched Fraser every morning with my cup of coffee. So when I found out he was doing it, I was abso- obviously absolutely thrilled. And he's, he's a very generous man. He's very generous with his acting. He's very, um, you know, he's willing to jump in, uh, in the deep end. I mean, the first day of rehearsals, we were blocking one of the numbers from the show, Red, White and True. And um, the first thing he had to do when he arrived, like straight off the plane, was uh, learn some ridiculous choreography. Some hilarious, and he just, you know, he just got stuck in, and so he's, he's, uh, he's, you know, I admire him a lot, and I think he's, he's marvelous. He's a very kind man as well. Did you know the show before the audition came up? I didn't know the show. Weirdly, actually, I was doing, I was in my dressing room at the Aldwych Theatre when I was doing Beautiful, and my sort of like a co-inhabitor of that dressing room sort of just decided to to pop in and say, "Oh, have you ever heard this song? This is one of my favourite songs ever." And he played Time Stops from Big Fish. And uh, immediately I was like, God, that's a great, that is a great song. And it's like, it sort of definitely sort of immediately transport you and transports you into this sort of 
magical world. I mean, about seeing a girl and time stopping in that instant. And um, yeah, I just I love the music. I thought it was very beautiful, very touching. And ever since then, I listened to a few of the other numbers. And uh, interestingly, he said, "Oh, I think you'd be good in that show," you know. And then next thing you know, I've got an audition for it, and I'm in for it. So, and I, and I get it. So it's uh, and it was only really once I'd got the job did I then decide to buy the book, give the book a read, which is great. If you haven't read that, before, uh, it's a, it's a beautiful book. And uh, yeah, and then I started listening to more of the music and thought, oh, there's some really, really beautiful stuff in here. Some, some great songs. And I was just like, yep, I'd be happy singing a few of them. So Yeah, it's not bad, it. bad yeah. to hear every night, is it? Yeah. Did you always, did you kind of intend to go for Will or was there, a, did you sort of? No, it's just, it's just what I think, I think Nigel Harmon, the director, had the clearest vision for this show. He's been with this project for a long time and it's been a long time sort of in the pipeline. And um, in all that time, he's had a lot of time to sort of think about what he wants to do. And the first day in the dressing room, he was straight away like, "This is what I want. This is what it's got. You know, I want it to look like." That's not to say that we didn't have any creative input. Of course, we did. And he was willing. He was listening to everyone. But I think because he had such a clear vision, he knew what sort of actor he wanted for what part, or you know. And I think I went in. I went straight in, and just uh, I was only in ever in for the part of Will. But I think it's it's probably one of my favourite parts of the show. Anyway, so it, it just worked out quite nicely. Yeah, you have got some of the best moments, and between the interaction with Edward and the yeah. actual songs that you get to sing on your own, you've got some really probably the best moments of the show. Mm-hmm. I think in the show, I think the the most rewarding journey is Will's, and he's a sort of very pragmatic at the start of the show. He believes in facts and figures. He's a reporter, and he sort of. Uh, the relationship between him and his dad has sort of somewhat, you know, drifted apart and um, Will's sort of a bit standoffish with his father because his father just constantly tells all these crazy stories and he can't resist his telling a joke, he can't, he can't ever, he feels like he can't ever have a serious conversation with his dad, he doesn't, he feels like he doesn't really know him that well. Um, and then by the, end of the, by the end of the show it's sort of turned around and he, sort of, uh, Edward Bloom sort of passes on the baton to his son Will in that Will then takes on the responsibility of telling these stories to his son and, and so on and so forth and I think it's uh, that sort of journey I think is very rewarding for Will whereas at the start of the show every other character is sort of uh, in sort their of, own box yeah, yeah yeah start they start you know in in a sort of uh, they're already quite established and by the end of the show they sort of haven't quite had the journey that Will has had um, it's sort of like everyone. I like to think that everyone by the end of the show is is wanting Will to to open up and, and, and let go and just you know and just uses you know connect to the inner child with him again. Um, do you know what that totally came across? Because I remember watching it last week. Um, that moment in in What's Next when you start when Will yeah. starts telling the stories to his dad. That yeah. and that moment, you, I kind of felt everyone just go, oh yeah, like but it's, it's like, like that moment when he lets finally, go, and yeah. that totally comes across. Well, that's good. I think that's that's that was the plan. So. And everyone is in tears by that point, myself included. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's this um, all his life, it's all his father's ever wanted to, you know. There's a great song at the beginning of the show called Fight the Dragons. It was like I will. I will you know, where he's talking to the younger version of Will um, on stage and he he sings about, you know, telling stories to his son and he's like, and then one day you'll be able to tell these stories to your son and you know, and it's it's all about inspiring your kid really, and that's, 
sort of passing about and on like that. In terms of the rehearsal process, we, mm. we talked briefly before about how this production is so different to the original. Was it brought to you as the, the show that's out there now, or, or was that process still sort of uh, reworking and rehearsing at the same time? Generally, the way that most shows work is you'll, you'll have, you're like, you, you turn up on the first day in the meet and greet, and you'll get shown the design of the show, you'll get shown the little design box, and you'll see a little mini version of, of the set. And um, oh, whose phone's that going off? Is that in here? I don't think so. I think it's just outside the door. It must be um, very loud. Yeah. I hope it's not Kelsey Grammer waiting to. No, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's hope not. Anyway, so Nigel's got this vision, and you know we're we're all there to help make it happen, um, and and that's sort of what the creative process of this show is really. Um, um, but at the same time, we had we had we had so much freedom to to play and to to invent and to. You know, find our own characters and, and work off each other. And Nigel, being an actor himself as well, you know, understands the process of the actor as well. And so he sort of let us run, you know, run amok, really run wild around the rehearsal room. And eventually, it was sort of just honed into this to what it what it became today. This is a very fast-moving, prop-heavy show. Is mm. it? Has anything gone wrong where you've kind of where someone's dropped something <coughs> or lost something? Um. There's a, there's a couple of things. There's a, there's a dress made of nothing but uh, hospital latex gloves, which like to just fall off and then end up on the <laughs> oh, no. end up on the stage. So you're just sort of wandering around, treading on various latex gloves and things. <laughs> uh, they, you know, the, <laughs> they get picked up along the way in various moments where you know where possible. Uh, we've got a, a hospital bed with various buttons that you know lift up. You know those sort of like those beds that sort of. You can raise the head, you can raise the bottom of them, and you could they change heights. And occasionally, people will press the wrong buttons, and the, the bed will move in the wrong direction. Oh but no! What we've got such a such a great cast, and they're all so quick on them and, and quick thinking on their feet. <laughs> so if anything does go wrong, like within about two seconds, it's been sussed out, and it's been okay, and we're back to it's normal. It's all fine. And it's all fine. Um, and there was even one moment where, because we don't have any understudies in, in this show, um, there was one moment just before the prologue where everyone is on stage. Uh, someone was, you know, one of the castmen was really ill and couldn't couldn't make it onto the stage. And the amount of time it took the ensemble to realise this person wasn't there and then just crack on with it anyway was unbelievable. And it's like everyone just mucked in together and just got it sorted out. And it was as if nothing went wrong. How on earth do you? Prepare yourself for going into a, a run where there are no covers. Like psychologically, does that affect your? Uh, it does. How you, look yeah. Yeah, you do get a little, like, a bit of extra pressure. But you know, it's like I was quite ill, like just a couple of weeks ago, and it sort of made me realise like how far you can, <laughs> how far you can push your body before it goes right. That's it. No more. Stop it. What are you doing to me? But uh, you know, that's where that's where like an ensemble piece such as this show comes into its own because everyone's very supportive. Everyone's always willing to help you out and. You know, and you know, everyone, you know, other people have been there as well, and we've got through it, and you know, so we're just all looking after each other, and that's yeah, it sort of helps the spirit of the show as well. Touch wood, it won't happen. Yeah. Worst case scenario, if you were physically unable to, to perform, so what would I, happen? Well, if I, I mean, if I've broken my leg or something like that, then uh, I think the worst case scenario would be uh, you'd have to cancel the show, and uh, unfortunately, I think some people would miss out on seeing it. And, yeah. That's the the risk that um, risk. people have 
been willing to take. Just don't trip over any stray daffodils. I'll try not, I'll do my best, I'll do my best. That's quite a weird reference I suppose people wouldn't get. <laughs> so the daffodils, there's this, there's this beautiful moment where we have two Edwards on stage. We've got like a story version of the Edward and we've got Kelsey Grammer who plays the older Edward. And um, there's this beautiful moment where he reenacts the moment he met his wife and proposed to his wife. Uh, and it's done absolutely beautifully and uh, all the sort of various hospital ensemble members come on carrying loads of daffodils and suddenly within about 10 seconds the stage is just full of these yellow daffodils and um, we have a big romantic petal drop and it's all very, very pretty. Um, but then I have to charge onto the stage. I was going to say, you like full on. I have to charge onto the stage like at the end of that number uh, and try and avoid as many of them as I can without without knocking any over. So it's sort, it's sort of a bit of a technical moment for me where I'm sort of like <laughs> just trying to use my peripheral. Where's your, where's your gaze? Because your gaze is on what you're holding. Is it what I'm holding? Which we won't I'm sort, ruin, I'm, sort of, <laughs> I'm sort of looking at this uh, sheet of paper as I come on and I'm sort of <laughs> doing my best to use my peripheral oh, vision. To, to not walk into any and swerve. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they do have, all the daffodils. They do have marks on the stage, so like they're not they're not too far different every night. But sometimes someone might have slightly missed a mark, and then it's like, oh no, that's not where it should be, and I have to try and sort oh, of like God. little quick Formula One chicane maneuver <laughs> to get around it. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Um, is there going to be a transfer? I hope so. We're fighting the good fight, Fingers and crossed. we're doing our best. We're doing our very best. But as with any show, even if, even if the will is to transfer the show, if even if the money's there, even if everyone's willing to go with it, and it's uh, you know the best reviews, it always comes down to timing. And if a theatre is free, and if a theatre is free, is it the right theatre? Because a lot of them are across the West End, fluctuating size. And, you know, um, compatibility with the set and the show, so it has to, you know, the timing has to be there and there's a lot of variables, but we're all keeping our fingers crossed. You've transferred in a show from here before, haven't you? I have, um, yeah. With your when, it was, when it was called the St James Theatre, and we, we did uh, the, the London, well, the UK premiere of You're in Town. Um, which was great. Yes, well, which uh, I loved. What a great, great experience. And that transferred pretty swiftly to the Apollo. Yeah, and three months. You were Richard Fleishman's cover here, and then you got to do it in your own. Yeah, in town. Got, well, that got, must have been a bit scary. Um, I think scary is excited and scared. To quote, to quote a bit of Stephen Sondheim there, staging, which we're always happy to. Yeah, to we're hear. always to quote. Um, I think I'd been out of drama school long enough to just feel ready to do something and it was the right moment and Jamie Lloyd the director of Town, gave me the very very the amazing opportunity to step into uh, Richard's shoes at the end of you know for the transfer I hit the roof when he, he phoned me and said so I want you to I want you to play Bobby I was, like, <laughs> I was like, trying to play cool? Yeah, yeah, okay, cool, yeah, 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 I'll be up for that. Yeah. And then as soon as the phone went and down. And as soon as, soon, as, as soon as I switched off, I was like charging into my housemate's room, bless them, they thought they were getting robbed or something. Like, <laughs> they, were, they were like half asleep, and I'd literally like poured into their room, like, ah, I got Bobby in. And like, yeah, bless her. Um, Mel, who was in bed, just literally like leapt across the room to get as far away from me as possible, thinking <laughs> I, was gonna, I was some weird, crazed axe murderer or something. But um, she soon settled down. 
then we were all very excited. <laughs> um, obviously, this is quite a small. Is it three hundred seats in this? Um, I think it's like three forty. I don't know. Because I, I remember sure. when I when I saw you in town here, the set is like it dominated. Oh, it's enormous. The it was huge. And then obviously, was it the was the Apollo? It went yeah. to? That is obviously quite a lot bigger. Did it yeah. change the way you played it to an audience? Uh, yeah, I think because what's so great about this space is very intimate, and because um, the, the rake of the seating is so steep, everyone's got such a great view, uh, and it feels like everyone's very much on top of you in in this theatre, the other palace, and um, we, you can afford to be a lot, you know, a lot subtler with your little looks and little glances, and uh, with the sort of B movie quality that we went for with Urinetown, it really worked. Um, but so when we transferred it, we had to sort of work on making those little subtleties that little bit, you know, that little bit bigger without losing, without losing that intimate quality to it. So it was tricky, and I think some things worked better in that in other Apollo, and I think other things didn't work as well. Um, so it was all about when we teched it and when we previewed it. It was all about, you know, reworking it slightly just to make it work in that theatre. Um, Sweeney Todd. I'll ask a proper question, I won't just say the name of the show. Um, <laughs> I, oh God, I saw Sweeney Todd from the very back row of the Coliseum. Yeah. But it was still just... Oh man, that place is enormous. So I must have been, I must have been like an amateur. I thankfully, for, thankfully, I think that's the only time I've ever actually paid the pound for binoculars. Oh, for the binoculars? Yeah, yeah, Oh, you know, I found a way in order to get them out without having to pay. I just had very sort of like, I had great dexterity in your hands and you can sort of like push various little buttons and then they just pop out. And you're like, yeah, got my free. So next time the you know can't afford their. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they only start. They only start from a certain. Yeah. Certain row back, don't they? Well, I was about ten rows further back than that. Yeah. Um, but the thing <laughs> is, the stage is so wide. You still have to go like to, like that and in, almost into the next person oh, yeah. next to you to get from one of the stage. Yeah, I saw the. I think I saw a few people actually in that production. They'd obviously brought along their own personal ones. You can see like brass plated, like uh, a <laughs> viewing uh, viewing glasses like. Uh, Shining back at you when the light catches them and stuff. It's just like they literally sat there the whole time with these really posh binoculars. <laughs> um, and you got to do that with with Emma Thompson amongst mm. various others. That was yeah. really cool. Yeah, another see, another person like they always say like uh, don't you know what is it they say don't meet don't this, meet your idols don't meet your idols and stuff. And I said well in both cases that I've worked with two. Um, you know, big actors I greatly admire. That's not been the case. I absolutely adored Emma, and she was so kind, so sweet, and just again so generous. And this is the same goes for Kelsey as well. And they're both very supportive, and you know, you couldn't uh, sort of ask any more from them. Really. Do you ever have a moment when you're kind of like opposite them and think, oh my god, that's Kelsey Grammer, Emma Thompson, yeah. insert name here? Yeah. I, well, I remember. Um, What's difficult, what's funny about Sweeney is that I was, we'd been rehearsing, because obviously um, Bryn Terfel and Emma Thompson had already done it in the Lincoln Centre in New York. Uh, they'd done a version of it over there, so when it was brought over here, we had two weeks just rehearsing without Bryn and Emma, um, and we basically, it was sort of like, it was a little bit like, you know, plotting by numbers and stuff, because they had, they had a limited amount of time to get the show on. It had already been done, so, and it worked, so it's like that, we basically went in, stood on our marks and did what we need to do but um, me being me I like to you know rock the boat a bit and change things up and you know I remember the first day they turned up and we were expecting the sort of not the carbon copy of what they did before but you know 
they sort of taken a bit by surprise by what some other of the other actors did. Yeah. And um, they just went with it, and it was just, it was. And she in particular just went, oh yeah, I enjoyed that. Oh, I love that's doing great. That's what you want, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly what you want. You talk about um, not being a carbon copy of someone who's done a role before. Yeah. You've replaced in Billy Elliot and yeah. Beautiful. How yeah. is that different to originating a role like you have done here? I think it's just the main thing is it's the creativity in the rehearsal room. And there's that sort of sense of like you can be yourself a bit more with a with a character, and you can bring more of yourself into a character because you're not trying to play someone else's version version of the character. It's really hard because it's so much of it is based in the psyche of a character, yeah. and um, like you may be going into like a show where you're taking over, uh, you may have the same steps, you may have the same plot, you know, you got the same words, etc., etc., et but the thoughts that get you there are, uh, are different, and. Um, if you have to reach some sort of emotional climax in the scene, you get there in your own individual way, regardless of what you're doing physically, whether it's this, you know, this what you're standing in the right place, or or like making sure you're um, giving the right cue for a light, you know, for for lighting or scenery or whatever. Um, yeah, the thoughts that get you to those places are your own. So um, what's quite nice is that a lot of what an actor thinks can be expressed physically um, and you're, you're given that sort of physical freedom then in a rehearsal room when you're sort of originating a role. Whereas you can be stifled physically, you're never really stifled emotionally, but um, what's nice about originating a role is that you can go in and let your thoughts dictate what your body wants to do as well. Billy Elliot, how did you find learning, I know it's offset in Geordie land technically, how did you find the Geordie accent? Fun. I love the Geordie did accent. Did you find it hard to learn? Yeah, I did a face. It's one. It's one that I've always had. I always had trouble with. And I remember when I got the audition, I was like, "Oh God, here we go." It's probably one of the hardest ones to do, isn't it? I think it's very. It's so unique, and it's so like. There's such so many subtleties to it that if you don't get, you just don't get. It just never it comes across as a very easy sort of, for it to go wrong. Yeah, and um, it's a funny one because they say they always say Geordie because it's the one that people most know, but it's actually like. Uh, County Durham. It's a County Durham, which is actually a very different accent to a Geordie It's softer, isn't it? Well, yeah, in some respects it's softer, it's a little bit more rooted, and it's sort of got that earthier quality to it. Um, But luckily for me, I've got a close friend, uh, John, uh, who is from Lofel, which is like around the corner from Easington, where Billy is set, and luckily for me, he was willing to record all my lines, and so I could sort of get all the vowels and shape, to get me through the to get me through the audition anyway. And then Daniel Lydon is a great uh, dialect coach um, who, who really helped, who really helped me out. Who's also the dialect coach on Big Fish. Oh, cool. So, yeah. I was gonna say actually the dialects here, just sidebar, are where I was really impressed with mm. like how good everyone's accents were. Yeah, yeah. Um, we had a sort of interesting thing with Will as well that um, being a reporter and stuff, I think he wanted to try, he wanted to try and escape that Alabama accent a little bit, just to, to neutralise his accent a bit, so he could be taken a bit more seriously in his profession. But I can relate to that. As the show, yeah, and obviously as the show goes along, I think he rela- he relaxes a bit more, and sort of those little Alabama sort of nuances, sa- nuances yeah. and sounds sort of start getting a bit more prominent. I think, and obviously in those high emotional moments, like I think it sort of comes out, it flies out as well without you thinking about it. Like, Sometimes when I go home and if I ever get into an argument with my brothers or anything like that, I, I turn very, very London. All of the, you know, like the click of a finger. Um, 
whereas sort of most of the time I can sort of have this sort of estuary sound. Yeah, yeah. You know, but then as soon as I get home, it's like, oh, I'm back out right, mate. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I'm bush, you know. <laughs> um, I actually interviewed some of the tour cast from Billy last year. Oh, yeah. And they were doing some of the lines that they were t- they were given to help them sort of find their way into the accent. Yeah. Were you given any of those from the dialect coach? I don't know if you got given it. It was one about a photocopier. Did they tell you that one? Oh, John Paul Gaultier's brought them the photocopier. That's or the one. something like that. Yeah, that's <laughs> I haven't one. done that accent in a very that's, long time. <laughs> I always do that. I tell that story to everyone. John Paul Gaultier's brought them the photocopier. It's such a good lie. Yeah. Well, no, what was the one? What was the Geordie one? I said, E Pet, how are you? <laughs> that's really good. E yeah. Pet, how are you? So the real test, the real test is to go up there and then start talking in my accent and did see, you, if, did, see if they can, you see if they can figure me out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was only, no, I did it in at the Victoria Palace must just be... before it closed and all the refurbishments happened for Hamilton. Um, you got to do the Oscars. That Oh yeah, that was That was like the, the year Hollywood went mad real... musicals. Yeah, they did, they, they did, they based the whole, the whole theme of the Oscars was like musicals in, on film. And so there are bits from like Chicago, um, as well as Les Mis and there are a couple of others that, that escape me now. But was that the Frozen year? Was that the year? Of, was that no, the year of was that? No, that, oh, 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 I think it was, you know, when, yeah, John Travolta came on yeah, and yeah. said, the, the wickedly talented Adele Dazeem or something, he says, <laughs> something crazy like that. Incomprehensible. That was, yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> the, I mean, that's the best impression you'll ever hear of John Travolta. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but um, yeah, so I just got around. I got a phone call one day actually from my older brother. He said, "Listen, I just got this really cool phone call from my agent. Um, potentially, I could be going to uh, LA to do the Oscars. How cool would that? Yeah. Oh yeah, that'd be cool." He said, oh, "Get on to your agent. Get on to your agent." And this was on a Friday, so obviously over the weekend the offices closed and stuff like that. And I remember on on the Monday I got a call from my agent. He said, "Right, so what are you doing on these dates?" I was like, "Oh, nothing. I don't think I'm doing anything." And he said, um, he said, well, listen, you're going to LA to uh, do the Oscars. I was like, oh, awesome. Oh, I better phone my brother then. So I phoned my brother expecting him to have heard the same news. And, um, and I was like, Dave, guess what? Oscars. And he went, yeah, what about it? I said, well, have you heard anything? And he went, no, no, I haven't heard anything. So I was like, oh, oh, I really hope I'm going. And like, I really hope that, uh, I, I hope it's not, you know, that case of I'm going, but now Dave's not and like, even though he's the one that told me about it, so it, but it took a week before he heard anything, God. and eventually he phoned me up and said, "Yes, mate, I'm going to LA." I was like, "Well, guess what? So am I." He was like, "What?" Brilliant. And we ended up going with it. Yeah, Jamie Moscato as well, who's in the oh. Big Fish. He came with us as well. Killian Donnelly, Jeff Nicholson, and it was the most surreal. We got eight days out there, and we were only rehearsing for three days, so we we just got we had a nice little holiday. Who did you get to meet? Um, Seth McFarlane. Uh, Anne Hathaway, who was sort of like, obviously, with our group of Les Misers, uh, Eddie Redmayne, Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, uh, so yeah, it, it was good, I mean, they were off, they, you know, they were in their, in their dressing rooms and we were in our dressing rooms, which were probably far more glamorous than Kelsey's, than uh, where we are right now, than where we are right now, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah but it was, it was a weird one, because it was like, we did, we did our little segment and then we were basically escorted off the entire premises. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had to go through all sorts of ridiculous security. Remember, I was asking, I said, this is mental. There were like four stages of security. And then and I told the security guy, I said, this is mental, what's going on? And he's like, 
this guy, he works at the White House as well. He says, well, the only place more secure than this building today would be the White House. Wow. So it was insane. Four levels and like people were like, so a couple of us were like interviewed and, you know, we thought we got through customs already, but it was basically going through like interrogation, like, why are you here? What are you doing? Who do you know? And where are you staying? It was, it was mental. Why are you just there going? I just want to sing. Like, yeah, I just, I just want to sing on stage. <laughs> um, you mentioned your brother, mm. who is in the same industry. Yeah. Was that we brought up like you will be actors or? No, I think it just sort of happened. Um, we'd always, my mum's good friends with the lady that co-founded Stagecoach, and when when we were very young, we were sort of like put into Stagecoach. And, so this sort of like performance thing has always been a part of our lives. And my mum and dad were always into their amateur dramatics. You know, they did every Alan Akebourne play under the sun because that's, it seems like amateur theatre companies, that's all they ever seem to do is Alan Akebourne plays. Yeah, pretty much. But yeah, but um, I remember going to them and sort of like going, ha ha ha, you know, laughing away. And then um, my older brother's going, you don't get that joke, what are you talking about? Because obviously some of them were a bit, you know, tongue in cheek and a bit innuendo-esque. And, yeah, so we'd always been we'd always been part of a theatrical background, but um, I remember Dave just went off, studied performing arts college, then went off to drama school, and um, I sort of uh, not followed in his footsteps because I mean we've both been doing it all our lives, just decided to do the same thing. Is it nice yeah. to to have an ally like do support each other while you're going for jobs? Yeah, absolutely. Like at, most of the time we have we we've our careers have never collided really, apart from the Oscars, and we did a. Uh, we did a concert at the proms together, which was fun. But other than that, we are yeah, our careers have never really sort of collided, or we've never really been up for we've never been up for the same parts or anything like Good that. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, would yeah. you please make your way to the stage for this evening's physical warm up? Would you please make your way to the stage for this evening's physical warm up? On that note, I think our time's up. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> very kind. No, of it was a real pleasure. Thank you. Friday evening. Big Fish the Musical is running at the Other Palace in London until the 31st of December. And that's it for our episodes in 2017. We're back in January with Rachel Wooding from Fat Friends the Musical. To make sure you don't miss it, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Backstage underscore with, and there are updates online at backstagewith.com. This episode was produced and edited by me, Mikey Worrell, with thanks to Matthew Seedon-Young, Raw PR and What Goes On Media. Thanks for listening and have a very happy Christmas. Christmas.